Hello and welcome to the Ask the Geographer podcast series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Harry. In each podcast, I'll meet geographers from around the world to ask them about topical events, timely publications and geographical research. Hello. Every year, the Royal Geographical Society recognises people who have achieved excellence in teaching as well as geographical research, fieldwork, policy and public engagement with our renowned medals and awards. It is a ceremony which first began 191 years ago in 1832, with His Majesty the King still approving the gold medals every year. This year, the OS award winners for excellence in geography education are Simon Holland from Bilborough College, Nottingham, and Ellie Barker from Prendergast School in London. And we're excited to have them here in conversation with us today. Hi, Harry. Hello. Nice to be here. Simon, you've got a huge presence online and you're a subject leader in geography. Uh, What do you do and where? Thanks, that's great. Um, Yeah, I've been teaching since 2004 and I suppose I've tried to sort of stay on top of developments with the subject and particularly found the internet's always been fantastic for sharing resources and collaboration, networking. And then Twitter in 2012 we joined and that went forward and that's become really, really good. There's a really good community of teachers on there that share ideas and resources freely. Um, There's quite a tendency, I think, with teachers to do your own thing and invent your own wheels and reinvent your own wheels um, rather than sharing things. Uh, So that's been something that I've been quite keen to be involved with. And also we use it with the students to sort of filter out relevant things for the course and retweet them so they get news that's kind of been filtered rather than by social media engines, but by, you know, teachers and experts. also, uh, Instagram more recently, students of Twitter's for old people, I'm told now. So yeah, so uh, Instagram's the one that they all use. So we've got into that much more and my colleagues have helped with that as well. The thing that I've always been quite passionate about, I think, is learning by stealth with students that they kind of don't really watch the news anymore and they're not really interested and they just do whatever social media tells them sometimes. So it's quite nice that if you can put things onto Instagram, it will pop up in their feed and, and they can't help but look at them. And then it kind of, they learn. And then they, in the lessons, come up with things that you think, where did they get that from? And they, I do know where they got that from, actually. <laughs> You're teaching them covertly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's always been my kind of approach. And then you can refer to them in the lessons as well and make links um, in the homework as well. Uh, so that's quite big online as well. I think online has been a great thing for teaching really education altogether. And then personally, I think uh, the GA has been really important as well um, over the years. So I've been a member since I started teaching in 2004, a long time ago. And they've always provided really good resources and support. And obviously, like the RGS, really good ag- advocacy for the subject, which is perhaps was lacking in the past when the numbers were declining. And, you know, now there's the sort of real loads of people all pushing in the right direction, which is nice. Uh, it's good to be a part of that. And they have an excellent annual conference as well, which is one of the highlights of the year. Um, and I didn't go for the first sort of few years of teaching just because I thought, oh, it's holidays. And, and since I've been, it's the best thing ever. And now my whole department go and, let, you know, it's just a really great resource. And you meet loads of people, update your... CPD. Um, my colleagues think it's the saddest thing ever. <laughs> Easter holidays, I go away and do geography all day, every day. But it just feels great. And you meet some really amazing people. And that's been a uh, really big source of support as well, I think, over the years. And you sort of build those connections when you need something, you know who to ask and where to go. Ellie, we should start by saying you are the curious geographer. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, who are you and what do you do? First of all, I am just a secondary school geography teacher in Lewisham like that's like my my day-to-day but in I think it was 2019 I did start the Curious Geographer which is a YouTube channel and I mainly started it after kind of conversations with my year 13 students because we used to love watching Vice videos on YouTube and Vox videos as well 
and we just felt there wasn't quite a space for videos tailored for geography students on those matters and so they kind of pushed me and they were like yeah you should should make a video or a YouTube channel so yeah the curious geographer is a YouTube channel um, with a range of different videos I think which we'll talk about in a bit and currently a large focus is the live interviews which we link with academics around the country and also in other countries too and then Kind of since the work from the Curious Geographer, I've been working with Time for Geography to make some shorter videos linked to it and also HOD Education with their Boost platform. So yeah, exciting to go in like different directions as well with it. And then I also co-chair the Post 16 committee. So that kind of links to the idea of geography beyond the classroom and linking with academics as well. So that kind of link between secondary school and Post 16 geography into academia. And are you self-taught? Did you do it all yourself or did someone, you know, take you through it? Yeah, com- completely self-taught. <laughs> I've never done any video editing before and that's what's quite good. There's quite a few loads of free programs out there where you can just teach yourself and obviously a lot of YouTubers rely on other YouTubers to teach them how to do things. So I've had a few phone calls with Apple as my computer's broken but, um, if I've like, been doing things incorrectly. But yeah, completely self-taught. You've both been recognised as bringing excellence to the subject. Um, Simon, what does excellent teaching and learning look like to you? A great question, I think. <laughs> a difficult one to answer. Uh, I would say probably engaging, creative, flexible, definitely student-centred um, are all words I'd use. It's probably the best subject to teach, I think, geography, really. There's so much out there. I always find in sort of cross-college CPD and things, other subjects are all stretching their heads, trying to think of how they can fit ideas in things, whereas in geography there's too many. You, can't, you know, how do you not cover all the key issues of the day through the lens of geography, which is really good. Yeah, there's lots of solutions to problems as well, I think. Perhaps when I did geography, I think in the 90s, it was very kind of negative. Here are all the problems, whereas lots of geography teachers are now really keen to be part of the solutions and sort of getting the students to go on and do things. And lots of our students do go on and be part of the answers to the problems, which is great. You know, pictures of them on the wall and you can point at them and say, you know, that could be you. You can actually fix these problems. And I think young people really are keen on that. You know, they're they're much more buy into things that have got a point to them, much more critical, especially with A-levels being three now. You know, when you're choosing them, you want to choose something that you like and actually is going to do something good for you in the world, I think, rather than just something that will look good on your CV or get you into university or, you know, so you get a lot of students who choose it without any real particular reason for choosing it career-wise. And then that comes later when they realise what they can do with it. Yeah, in terms of teaching and learning, I think also lots of online resources I mentioned earlier, I think um, YouTube's fantastic. Ellie's stuff's really good as well. So, you know, there's so many really good creators out there and I think it's got a lot easier to, to produce really high quality um, videos. So people do that. Um, I tend to produce them but not share them on the internet because I'm not quite that confident yet. But, but uh, you know, all that, you, you can collate some fantastic resources from other places and it just saves reinventing the wheel again and you can do the flip learning things much more easily with it, with that method. Um, so that's, that's key. I think independence is crucial with students, isn't it? Really getting them to really be interested in things and already come to the lesson armed with knowledge and background and able to ask questions and makes for a much better lesson. We have a very diverse range of students with different abilities in the college so it's kind of important that they all come with a basic level of knowledge that you can then push to the highest level and sort of teach to the top all the time and that's how I think we get some really good results as well across the college. Uh, I don't think the fundamentals of excellent teaching have really changed 
I think, you know, one of my mentors when I started teaching said, good teaching is good teaching. And I think that is true, isn't it? You can use new tools. Uh, GIS has been fantastic for, for geography, I think. And there's so many resources available now and much more sharing than there was when I started teaching. So it's kind of easier to be creative than ever. I think creativity probably is the single thing I would pick as the thing that makes excellent teaching and learning. Uh, both sides, teacher creativity and student creativity. It's easy to be sort of straight jacketed by the specification and think that's kind of the curriculum and you're just going to stick to that, especially at A-level. I think lots of teachers sort of open the curriculum and go start to finish, you know, whereas you've got to kind of look at ways you can be more creative and make links and return to things and all that kind of retrieval and things which help students. But yeah, I think probably the other thing is uh, engagement as well, that if, if it's positive, inclusive, supportive and everyone's engaged and it's interesting and um, one thing we've been working on in the college is the sort of growth mindset. I think that some students maybe, I don't know, maybe the school GCSE system at the moment is not great for making students believe that they can do what they want, you know. And when they come to us, they really do. Lots of students make huge progress. So if you can get them to believe that they can do it, then you're halfway to them doing it, I think. Ellie, you obviously produce excellent additional content. And you mentioned earlier you connect with Harder and Time for Geography, among others. Is it always within the exam board specifications? That you work? Yeah, so the, the aim, I suppose, was to make a space that can go beyond the specs. So at my old school, it was actually in kind of Hammersmith area, and we were really close to the RGS. So we used to take our students to the student lectures, which they absolutely loved. And it was such an amazing resource. But even moving to Lewisham, getting students to attend presentations from academics or professionals in the geographical sphere is a lot more challenging even if it's just an hour away by train you suddenly have to kind of complete all your trip paperwork and it's the same for many around the country that students don't have access to Tim Marshall to come into their classroom and in fact my students did see it because we went to a private school um, where they invited us for some interviews so the aim was to try and create a space where Geography beyond the spec could be accessible to everyone around the country, no matter what school you're in or no matter where your school is located. And so that was kind of the aim. There are, of course, videos linked to the specification. And so I do have a few revision videos. And these are definitely some of the highest views, particularly around the summertime, which is this time. And there's like huge peaks because obviously everybody's cramming just before their exams. But the aim of these is also to draw students to the platform, because if you're looking for a revision video, then my hope is that you then would see a live interview that would maybe interest you. So I don't mind having a few of those to kind of inspire students on my channel. And then they kind of started originally with career advice as well. So I've kind of tried to go in different directions. For one of my first videos, I went back to my university cohort and they did so many different jobs from one was a lawyer, one was a doctor, one worked in fashion and all these kind of amazing different industries, but they were actually all geographers. So one of the first videos was I studied geography and now I'm a, and kind of like branching off. So lots of different kind of parts, some linked to the spec, but predominantly aimed to kind of encourage geographers beyond classroom geography. Part of your professional journey has involved becoming a chartered geographer. Uh, what does this mean and what did the process entail? It's uh, something I'm very, very proud of, being a chartered geography teacher. I achieved it in 2018 and I really highly recommend it to all experienced teachers and geographers more widely. I think it's something that's really useful to do. The staff at the RGS are really supportive, so uh, it sounds quite 
daunting when you first look at it, but actually with the support, it's quite straightforward, really. Um, it was a lot easier than I thought. Lots of help out there. And you can actually get mentors as well to help you from other existing sea jogs, which is great. I think the application process is really well designed, actually, when you start doing it. Um, and that helps you to realize that you've actually done quite a lot more than you have, which is one of the best things about doing it, I think, really. Because <laughs> you tend to put yourself down, I think, as a teacher, don't you? And think, oh, I could always do better. I could always do differently. And actually, it's quite good for realizing the things that you do do and maybe the things that you could do better and things that you do really well. And also, um, the reflection process is really good. I think maybe it's a bit lacking sometimes with in education that we don't really reflect back. We often sort of think, oh, the results aren't very good. I need to fix the results. I need to, you know, whereas you don't think, oh, these are the things that went really well. And this is the one thing that we need to work on. Or, you know, it's much more personally as well. I think a lot a lot of teachers kind of blur the department and the, the college and the, the, the school aims with their own professional aims, which is kind of different, really, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, it allows you to do that. And it also allows you to sort of plan where you can contribute more to geography, I think, which is quite nice. Sort of exciting to go beyond your school or institution where you work. I've done quite a few things. So I'm obviously a teacher, but I also run CPD. I've done examining, working with exam boards, training teacher, mentoring, uh, lots of university collaboration over the years and loads of student expeditions as well all over the world that I've run. And those things all sort of count towards the status as well. So trips and things that people don't really think of. You know, they're all things that you can use towards furthering geography, really. So I'd say it's a very worthwhile investment of your precious time. Also, I think maybe cynically in the current climate, it's quite hard sometimes to get CPD in schools. Our college is fantastic, thankfully. So if you've got the status, then it's very prestigious for the school or college. And, and therefore, the 30 hours CPD you have to get every year to maintain it is a lever that you can use to say, you know, I want to go on, I want to, go on to the GA conference like our college pays for the full GA conference, all the accommodation, everything, Brilliant. even in times of great financial hardship because they think it's really important. So, you know, now you could say if you don't pay for it, then I might not be able to go and then I might not have the status and you lose that as an organisation. So, yeah, I think it's good for prestige for, for where you work. It's good for your CV um, and it's also a really positive thing to be involved with. So recommend it. And how did you end up producing live interviews and vlogging? What, what was your route towards making that decision in 2019? So I had the channel before, which was actually quite good because it takes quite a lot of time just to kind of set up your name and your brand and everything. And then with COVID, like a lot of huge like improvements in terms of technology, that really became the opportunity to try these live interviews. So it actually started with Dr. Madeline Morris from the Grantham Institute, and she was meant to come into our school and she was coming for a film screening where we were screening the film 2040 and she was going to be on our panel and that got cancelled because of COVID. And I asked her whether she'd like to do an interview online. And at that time, people had started sharing Zoom calls online and I wanted something that was really professional and quite a, not, I'm not a perfectionist, but you obviously you want to do your best. And actually my husband watches these live Formula One interviews and they look so professional and they go as a podcast afterwards and I was like oh what technology are they using there and just from kind of thinking about things and researching it I use like a streaming software that's actually for gamers that's what the kind of format is for the live interviews and that's kind of the birth of the live interviews as it was and then I just kind of asked people and I think that's kind of maybe a takeaway which I'll kind of end with later is that suddenly I was interviewing Danny Dawling and Professor Chris Jackson and Tim Marshall and all these kind of books that I read and geographers that I wanted to speak to. And I just 
asked if they would like to be involved, obviously explained kind of my purposes, a bit of what I talked about earlier. That was in 2020 when it started with COVID. Are you doing series or seasons? So I, I tend to do them with the school term. So there was kind of like the first season and tried to get a range of different academics for that first term. And I used to make kind of these interactive posters and now kind of partnering with Time for Geography, they're kind of sending out all these amazing kind of reminders and their newsletter emails. So that's kind of how they're kind of promoted this time. But we still try and keep, at the moment, it's about two or three per half term. So there's kind of that continuous cycle of different interviews over the academic year. You've partnered, you mentioned, with Time for Geography. That's to produce narrated video analysis and geography. Why the slight shift away from the interview format and how you started out? Yeah, so all my current interviews with academics are in kind of collaboration with Time for Geography and in partnership with different universities. And Time for Geography are just amazing at all the videos they create. Um, I use them the whole time in my lessons and can probably quote the Archers, Stacks and Stumps one because I've used it so many times with so many different year groups. And we found that a lot of our purposes aligned when we met at the GA conference. So the idea of having an open access resource for students and bringing academic work into school geography. And so I was working with universities to create these live interviews and they make all their videos with universities as well. So we are now like collaborating on that, which is fantastic because it's so great to be working with people on something that obviously was such a solo project before. And they have these amazing relationships with universities across the country. So the interview format follows a very similar format to before. In fact, you probably can't recognise a difference between like this season and last year's season. But what we do with Time for Geography is then we pick out some themes or a key idea that can be made into a clip that can be shown basically in the classroom. One thing which is great about the live interviews is that they go really in depth about parts of geography that might be beyond the specification, but it might be quite hard to pull out that part that's really relevant for your classroom. And so that's what we've kind of tried to do with it. So we kind of make like an ideal classroom clip so they're around kind of five minutes to six minutes where it can be used in a classroom like straight away. So we use the kind of raw footage from the interview. I then refilm with a different script and then we like edit it or time for job we have amazing resources. So they make it look so much more polished than I can do on my own. Um, so it's really, really exciting. I'm actually just learning loads too. And it's really nice speaking to geographers about making videos and trying to make it a really great educational resource so we're just finishing one now on the southern ocean which I've taught for years with the um, A-level spec around Antarctica and I actually really wanted to make a video on it because the Antarctic circumpolar current always confuses me when I teach it with my year 12s and I was like I just think that will be a great part if we can pull out for teachers particularly as it's linked to the human side of the course and so yeah we've drawn out some really like exciting themes from it and I always try and pick something which is new to me as well. So about how the ice sheets actually bring minerals from the from glacial erosion and that is food for krill. So 
all very exciting. And then it gets made into an amazing little video to share in the classroom. So it is actually going back to maybe where my YouTube started, because actually I started with more narrated content and kind of shorter videos. And then obviously I evolved into live interviews and that was so good that I didn't want to stop it. But actually, obviously being a teacher full time, you can't do everything. So actually it's great to combine the live interviews, but also have this narrated content because it is really fun just to create this kind of small project of an excellent short video. You've got the best of both worlds really with in-depth interviews and then shorts narrated content. Yeah, it's great. And also, as I said, like with the live interviews, there's always there's always another one coming, which is great. And you never quite know what you're going to pull out. So it makes the interview sometimes a little bit more stressful because at the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, what can this be a shorter video or what am I going to pull out from it? And suddenly, because you're also dealing with everything on screen, like different inputs and you're trying to make it look good. Um, so then concentrating on the conversation and then also making sure that you are asking questions that can maybe link to the video as well. So it's quite a lot going on, but it's definitely exciting to take that interview to the next level. The Bilborough Geography alumni are alive and kicking. I saw you recently profiled an article written by an ex-student who now works in the energy industry. Um, what did he have to say? So, yeah, I mean, um, I've always been really passionate about alumni, keeping in touch with them, finding out where they go. Geography is such a great thing for opening up career opportunities. And our alumni from our department are fantastic. One of them's a top NASA scientist in the US. There was actually two or three of them at COP26 doing different things for different sectors sustainability, business, finance, everything really. And the more I find, the more you connect with people, the more you realise the great things they've gone on to. The, the student that you referred to, um, yeah, one of our students, he's now an FRGS as well himself. And he works at um, an organisation in the city called Global Council, looking at energy. With them previously, he was the government lead, uh, international communications lead at COP26. So he worked in the cabinet office. And yeah, he's been really, really helpful, supportive over the years. We've run careers events from the cabinet office with him and all sorts of things. But yeah, he currently works a consultancy role and he publishes insights that are sort of, I think, supposed to engage with business, but they kind of are really well written for students at Post 16, I think, for explaining complicated ideas. And he's amazing, really, really good expert. So yeah, he, he's talking about making the North Sea into the world's biggest renewable energy plant. That's what the article was about, which is one of those kind of solutions, things that students can see. And then there's so many ways that students can see a way into it as a career as an engineer or planning or government or policy or you know sharing between the different countries international relations you know so much there and your current students can project ahead and have a role model yeah and they absolutely love it they can't you know they sort of almost i think london for people outside of london london's seen as kind of like a posh thing that you know that people from the midlands and the north don't really do um, and then they can see that people have gone and they work in the cabinet office and they've worked with Boris Johnson and, you know, and it sort of makes you think, oh, actually, you can do that. And they're from the same school that I went to and they lived in the same village. And, you know, it's, uh, it's quite powerful, I think, maybe underused by in education. I think that we kind of you get the mentality of like, oh, that's the end of that year. They've all gone now. Let's get some new people going. Whereas actually keeping in touch with a few people is quite powerful, really. And we've got a whole wall display of people that we can use and you can just point, point at them and say they do this, they do that. They work for Barclays. They, you know, it's just a great way of keeping students sort of on track. What's the point when you're doing something maybe a bit dry in the course to say, this will actually potentially lead you to a job that pays three times more than I get <laughs> as a teacher after 20 years. You know? This is your end goal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, carrot and stick. Yeah. Um, you have a strong uptake at A-level, as a college, of course, uh, and a big cohort. What's your trick to recruiting people into the subject and the success? 
that you've had? Yeah, another very good question, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, we've grown very significantly since I started in 2004, and we've probably got about 200 students doing A-level geography at the moment in the college. I would say probably uh, I, would, I do loads of student voice surveys all the time, so I like asking them what they think. <laughs> and they would say enthusiasm, I think, uh, infectious passion. I think that's the kind of the thing, isn't it? Making students love the subject. And obviously loving it yourself is kind of key to that, really. Having great teachers, I would say, and, and you know, we're really lucky because we just take students at 16, that, that there's some really fantastic teachers in all the schools that give them the passion before they even come to us and give them loads of skills. And, you know, it's one of the best things about teaching in a college. I think that you, we have maybe like 70 or 80 feeder schools. Um, so you get kind of the benefit of all the different teachers' <laughs> skills and all the students' backgrounds and the huge diversity that we have in our students. So that makes the discussions much more powerful. And some of those past students go away and come back. One of our um, members of our department is an um, amazing ex-student who's now in the department again. So <laughs> that's kind of kind of worth the, worth the effort to investment there, I think. Yeah, open days, I think, are really important as well for us because obviously we recruit at 16. So we just try and make open days really good fun. We've got life-size cutout of David, so David Attenborough and Greta Thunberg that we use quite a lot to take selfies with. And that just gets students thinking of them as geographers because they might not really think of them as geographers. And, you know, are they actually geographers? And, you know, and sort of, you know, those kind of links. And then they might think about biology and geography and how that fits together. And, you know, it's kind of just to get them talking and thinking. Lots of students choose the subjects uh, who haven't done it at GCSE before, which is apparently really unusual, but we've always thought it's quite, quite normal for us. And they actually sometimes normally do better than students who've done it before. I think because they don't have any kind of pre-existing misunderstandings or, or uh, you know, answering questions at a GCSE level by default. You know, they're always going straight to the A-level level. I think also, obviously, having a track record of really good results attracts people and gives you the knowledge of what works and what doesn't work, which is, you know, something that we, we are very lucky to have. Uh, as a department, we also passionately believe in extra opportunities and going beyond the spec and the minimum to make things as exciting as possible. And those things are really important to create a sort of positive, vibrant department, which is what is likely to be somewhere where people want to work and also where students want to study and parents will send their students as well and the children. So uh, key to that, I think we really strongly believe in residential fieldwork. So we've run residential fieldwork um, in partnership with the Field Studies Council every year since I've worked there. Um, and as far as I'm aware, we're the only college that carried on doing fieldwork all the way through the pandemic. So we did the NEA and the fieldwork, even in the midst of the pandemic, full gas masks on. And, you know, that was really good. And the students really appreciated it. Loads of them, it was the only time they'd ever been away from home because they'd started in the pandemic at just the time you might leave home. And then, they'd, you know, so it was kind of just exciting for people, um, gave them loads of skills. I think residential anything is really, really important as well for students, especially the current generations that have been less likely to have had residentials because of COVID and also financial pressures. So we, we put a lot of effort into that, a lot of college funding into that as well. Uh, they get to know each other and you get to know them. And that's really key to getting good results, I think, as well, that the relationship in, in year 12 is kind of different to year 13 because we do the field trip in the summer between the two. So you can kind of really know them inside out by then as individuals, which is really key to success, especially with the NEA and things like that along there. Uh, also running other things as well. So I think trips, uh, we find it quite hard to do sort of compulsory trips or department trips abroad because of the scale of the department. But uh, we run extra trips. So um, I've run student designed from scratch expeditions to Greenland, Iceland, Slovenia, Morocco, Iceland again. And then more recently, Nepal it was really good as well. And all of those, I always make sure you can fundraise from scratch. So a lot of students have come on them who from really, really deprived backgrounds. And it's been really, really 
important to, to me and them. So those things are really good for opening their eyes up and getting them thinking. And also some of the fundraising skills are very, very employable skills as well, aren't they? So you can sort of gain a lot of skills along the way. Uh, we also run loads of trips to universities, so the GA, locally we've got a GA branch where we organise things at Nottingham University and they've been fantastic over the years, really supportive. Loads of ex-students come in and talk as well, or record things for us. And then more recently we've also been successful in um, a partnership, a STEM partnership project with the Royal Society, which is called Tomorrow's Climate Scientists. That's kind of student-led science and the Royal Society fund give you funding towards it. Uh, and then support you with Nottingham University, designing the programme, collecting data, buying equipment. And that's been really exciting uh, for students. We're looking at noise pollution and air pollution in Nottingham and how you can solve it. And it's kind of now evolving a bit as well into looking at deprivation and how that links with air pollution and noise pollution. And the students have all come up with all of it. And as part of that, we've also really uh, been really pleased to be able to go to a mock parliamentary select committee, which I think was the first one that's ever been done where the students sit in the MP seats and the MPs sit, sit in the student seats almost as, and they grilled them and the MPs were astounded, I think, as to how hard the questions were <laughs> the students came up with. So yeah, so that was really, really good. And then in, in July, we're also coming to their Young Researcher Zone and running a stand there. Hopefully lots of respected and famous uh, scientists will come around and talk to the students as well. So I suppose in short, it's the love of a subject as a teacher, being passionate about the subject, I think, and seizing opportunities to get students on board and to make them love the subject as much as you do, I would say. Finally, Ellie, um, for any teacher looking to experiment with audiovisual work, what tips could you offer them? We've already touched upon talking to people, I think you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I would say definitely speak to people. And also, if you don't ask, you don't get in some ways. So actually, one of my highlight kind of interviewees, which unfortunately isn't on the channel, but it is on Hodder Boost, was I spoke to Anna Rosling from Fatfulness, which was amazing, again, because Hans Rosling and Anna are so inspirational in terms of how we think about people around the world and kind of breaking down those stereotypes. And I was amazed when she said yes. So as I said, there's, there's loads of people who actually are so passionate about what they do that if you've explained why you're doing it, they're likely to come on board with you as well. But then also, I mean, I'm happy for more like people to contact me. I mostly get students just saying thanks for the videos, but um, I definitely reached out to other YouTubers. So I spoke to maths YouTubers to kind of see how they made it work and kind of what tips they had. And then it was just fun to kind of try different parts. But I suppose with lots of things to do with online and computing or videos also just making sure that you kind of make sure you have that space because what I found quite weird from not having a computer-based job was suddenly you're looking at a screen the whole time trying to edit something and so trying to make sure that you have that distance and get some sun as well. <laughs> Work-life balance as well as the hobby yes which is quickly becoming a second career. Yeah yeah feeling a bit like a second career at the moment but yeah, I would love it to go that way. So I'm just kind of, yeah, embracing what's happening now and kind of seeing where that might lead hopefully later. But, you know, just kind of enjoying the moment. I think that's the key point. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ellie and Simon. And congratulations on your awards. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Ask the Geographer podcast series on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. Be inspired and stay informed with the Society's wide range of resources, many of which are free, 
School membership unlocks access to other excellent resources, including online lectures and many other tailor-made benefits for teachers and students. Access our resources at www.rgs.org schools.